Church, I got to ask you a serious question here. Well, maybe it's not that serious. Okay, somewhat serious. But how many of you in here like a good potluck? Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, good. Okay. Some of you didn't raise your hand. A buffet is that better? Potluck buffet. It's all about the same thing. Well, we know it's a little bit more home cooked on the uh, the potluck end, maybe, or a good salad bar, something like that. I, all right. Just, just checking because I love a good salad bar. And I only say that because it was not too long ago that I was um, invited by a friend and said, hey, you want to do lunch? Sure. And then they said, this place has got a killer salad bar. Okay. When somebody says that, you're like, okay, what am I? I look like a super rabbit or something? Like I want a salad bar, but it was really good. And, and here's the thing about a good salad bar. Okay. I like to be able to pick and choose the things on that salad bar. So if I can come in and there's the greens of the salads, maybe it's got some, maybe uh, a little bit of spinach in there, but if it's got the purple stuff, which again, I, I'm not quite sure what that is, but I know people say it's good for you. But I can pick and choose, right? And then, okay, if I want maybe some eggs that are chopped up, but not the purple eggs. I don't, even, I don't get purple stuff. Anyway, um, and then you go on and, and put maybe the shredded carrots and some cheese. I can put as much cheese on there as I want, by the way, which is awesome, okay? But then, like, cold corn, I don't, I don't get that at all. And there's a few other things I, that I don't touch. Um, onions, no, not there. Um, but then, if there's, depending on the size of the plates they give you, there's going to be cottage cheese. There's going to be jello. There's going to be maybe some pudding. There's going to be um, a few other things, fruit, fresh fruit. Now, to me, then, that's like, okay, now we're talking to salad bar because it's not just salad. There's so much more up there. And I walked away thinking, this is awesome. This is great. Oh, and it's endless trips. <laughs> that makes it even better. I can go up a second or third time, and the first time up means I can sort of pick and choose. If I want more, I can go back and get more, right? You all follow me on this? Because here's what happens. We do the same thing with our faith. We do. Sometimes we see God's word as a salad bar, and we, we pick and choose certain things about our faith. Like, oh, yeah, I like this. Eh, I don't want to read about that. Oh, I like this. I don't want to deal with that. Sometimes we can do that with our faith as well. There are certain topics and subjects that we're like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't understand that. I don't get that, so I dismiss it, right? But it's all right there in front of us. Well, we are wrapping up our series on, on heaven and hell. And as we're, we're wrapping it up, there, there's so much more we can discuss. I get it. Uh, but you may still have some lingering thoughts and questions about heaven and hell. You may be asking questions like, okay, so does God make the decision again on, on people going to heaven or hell? Or, or why did God create hell? That's always a good question. But when we consider the, the holiness of God and, and humanity... And our choice to live an unholy life separate from a holy God, it only makes sense that there would be a place of judgment and punishment. And we may wonder and have questions about God and judgment and punishment and hell and, and, and heaven. And we're just all these things, right? Eternal decisions. And so staying on track with uh, a book I was reading not too long ago by Francis Chan he got, in one of his chapters, he got into it and he said, here's a, here's a passage that's sort of somewhat hard to understand. It may be a little confusing. But when we're talking about eternal destination, we as Christians maybe don't want to talk about this because we don't know how to answer it. It's again like that salad bar issue where I don't want to touch that, so I'm just going to move on to the next thing. But we're going to slightly touch it this morning. 
So if you would open up your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9, we're going we're gonna to actually read backwards. We're going to start with verses 22, 23, then we're going to go back into the earlier part of Romans 9 in a second. And as we read this, this is a passage that as Paul's writing, it's a question that might cause some of us to ask certain questions about faith, about heaven and hell and judgment. Romans chapter 9, right after Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, you're at Romans, ready to go. Here we go, Romans chapter 9, verse 22 says, In the same way, even though God has a right to show his anger and his power, He's very patient with those on whom his anger falls, who are destined for destruction. Verse 23. He does this to make the riches of his glory shine even brighter on those to whom he shows mercy, who were prepared in advance for glory. Now, as I'm reading those, those couple of verses, and, and, and as Francis Chan was pointing out in his book, as I'm reading, I'm thinking, those, those are sort of hard to swallow because you, you hear the phrases in there, destined for destruction, prepared for glory in advance for glory? And it's like, wait, wait, wait. So it leaves me wondering, did God already decide the fate of humanity? Did God already decide who's going where? I, I had a niece a few weeks back um, sent Jenny and I this question, asking some of these same kind of questions. It's like, I don't understand. It's like, that's a good question. But Paul's not saying here that God has prepared them for destruction. He says these people are pretty much done a good enough, adequate job on their own, preparing themselves for the choices they've made. But Paul is asking, what if God chooses to glorify himself through letting people go their own way and letting them righteously receive the wrath that they deserve so that his power can be made known? What if? What if God desires to be more than fair with others, showing them mercy? Or maybe he didn't show mercy over here. What if God wants to show mercy to the Gentiles as well as the Jews? Of course, never being less than fair to either. What if God, as the almighty, sovereign creator, decides to create vessels of wrath in order to show his wrath and his power to be made known even greater? It's confusing, right? Would that cause you to think different about God? Would you refuse to believe him? Would you refuse to follow him? Wow, did God create that person only to make bad choices and that they would end up in hell? Or did he create this person over here so they'd go to hell? What if, what if, what if? If I were to say, I don't like the way God judges, so I'm not going to follow him, would that be a wise thing to say? And have you heard people actually say that? Because they look in there and they're thinking, did God predestine people? Is God making the choice? Why did God create hell? Why would God send people to hell? You know, I don't like the way he judges. I'm not going to follow him. I guess I would go back to my opening illustration of the salad bar. And I would do it like this. As I go to pay for my $9 salad bar, okay, which was well worth the $9. But here's the thing. When I... Dished off of that salad bar, I only picked out about one-third of the ingredients that were on that salad bar. There's a lot of stuff I didn't choose from. So in my mind, it's a $9 salad bar, but I only ate about a third of it, so I think I should only pay $3. 
So I go to pay for it, and I say, I'm, here's my $3. They say, it's 9 Yeah, but it's, he, there's a salad bar. There's all this stuff there, and I'm only, I only picked a third of it, so I'm only going to pay for a third of it. Can I get away with that? No, absolutely not. In the same way, let me use a different illustration. Let's say I don't like gravity. I, I tripped and I fell and I, and I hurt my elbow. I hurt my, my knee. I don't like that feeling. I don't like gravity anymore. I therefore declare I don't believe in the law of gravity because I don't like it. I don't like the outcome of it. And then my friend says, hey, you want to go skydiving? Absolutely, but I'm not going to use a parachute because I defy the law of gravity. I don't believe in that anymore. Okay? That's foolish, isn't it? Both of those illustrations are foolish, right? But yet, don't we do the same thing with God? I don't like what God has to say about hell. I don't like what God has to say about judgment. Therefore, I don't believe in God. Judgment, the wrath of God, hell, those can be very unpopular topics. We've talked about that. But it's part of the truth that we must accept as Christians. We may not fully understand it. We may not fully uh, want to believe those things, but they are real. And it's in God's word. And I've never found anywhere in the Bible where it says, God destroys those who sin on purpose just to show the world how powerful he is. That's not in the Bible. No, but God does display his wrath, his power, and his judgment. Which means that if you are an unbeliever, if you've not placed your faith in Christ, you will be punished. You will taste that judgment and hell. But in the same passage of Romans, Paul helps us remember our places. He sort of throws out that question, but then he goes, okay, let me back you up now and help you understand why I just said that. We're going to actually read it in order now, okay? He helps us remember our place. And what is our place, Christians? Our place is to be where we just let God be God. That's the place we need to be in right now. Let God be God. Don't try to tell him who he is. We cannot define who God is. Nor can we dictate how God should act. It seems today that we have this thought that it's okay for us to define how just or how holy God should be. It seems like we've gotten to the place now it's okay for us to dictate how we think God should have acted in this sort of situation and circumstance. Look back at Romans chapter 9 verse 16. Rewind back six verses. Romans chapter 9 verse 16. Paul says this. So it is God who decides to show mercy. Do you hear that? Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. Show mercy on me. In other words, don't give me what I deserve. God is the one who decides who's going to get the mercy. He goes on to say, we can neither choose it nor work for it. Verse 17. For the scriptures say that God told Pharaoh, I've appointed you for the very purpose of displaying my power in you. And to spread my fame throughout the earth. So you see, God chooses to show mercy to some, and he chooses to harden the hearts of others, so they refuse to listen. Listen to this, verse 19. Well then, Paul goes, you might say, so why does, why does God blame people for not responding? Haven't they simply done what he makes them do? Well, that's a good argument. What does Paul say to that? Verse 20. No, don't say that. Who are you, a mere human being, to argue with God? Should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, Why have you made me like this? Verse 21, when a potter makes jars out of clay, doesn't he have the right to use the same lump of clay to make one jar for one decoration and another to throw garbage in? 
I love how Paul uses the example of the potter and the clay. And he says, does the, does the potter have the right to do whatever he wants to do with that clay? Absolutely. I want to make a vase for flowers so that I can give somebody special in my life some flowers. I'm going to make a vase. You know what? I'm going to make a cup to drink of so those who are thirsty can quench their thirst. You know, I'm just going to make a simple pot so when you get sick, you can throw up in it. Right? I'm the potter. I can make whatever I want to make because there's so many purposes and needs out there and it may be something beautiful. It may be something quenching your thirst or maybe something for us really gross, right? But who is the clay to look up at the potter and say, why are you making me this way? It's the potter's choice. And it seems that in the midst of our pain and sorrow, we have to come to a place where we can answer yes to that question. Yes, the potter has the right. And that's hard sometimes when we're in pain, isn't it? It's tough. But have you ever heard somebody say, I can never love, I can never follow a God who would send people to hell? Have you ever heard anybody say that before? Oh, God sends people to hell? I I can't follow your God. That's too mean. God would never do that. Or I can never follow God who punishes people. Or I can never trust or follow God who allows bad things to happen to good people. That doesn't sound like a God I want to follow. You know, in saying those kind of things, are we not like the clay looking up at the potter? And saying, I really think you messed up. There's a better way to mold me than the way you're molding me right now. And I don't like the shape you're putting me in. That's crazy, isn't it? But don't we do that? God also spoke to Isaiah. Let's turn into the Bible. Let's go back to Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 29. Head back to Isaiah chapter 29. Get past the uh, Psalms and Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and you're getting close to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 29. You know, I often tell um, students, I used to tell them a lot, I was like, hey, you know what? After a certain time at night, there ain't nothing but trouble. You know, there's a reason for curfews. Because, you know, the only thing that happens late at night is trouble. A lot, a lot of bad things happen when it gets dark. You know why? Because... We know like sin and darkness, we try to get away with stuff in the darkness because nobody can see it, right? We think we get away with a lot of stuff. I love what Isaiah says here in Isaiah 29, verses 15 and 16. He says, What sorrow awaits those who try to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their evil deeds in the dark? Listen to what those people say. They can't see us, they say. He doesn't know what's going on. It's like they're, like they're messing around. They're, they're doing things they know they shouldn't do. And because it's dark, they're in a dark room. They're in a dark place. It's at night. They think, I'm getting away with it. God can't see me, right? Look at verse 16. How foolish can you be? He's the potter. And he is certainly greater than you, the clay. Should the created thing say to the one who made it, he didn't make me. Does a jar ever say, the potter who made me is stupid? Yeah, I know it's there. Isn't that crazy? You know, keeping with the context of this whole chapter, because here's what happens. Sometimes we take verses, we pull them out to talk about them. It's like, well, let's put this verse back in the context of the whole chapter. What's going on in this whole chapter in Isaiah, chapter 29? What's going on here is there was a pride in the blindness of the people in Jeremiah. In Jeremiah's time back in Jerusalem. And these, these people were very arrogant. And it was perhaps at the man's, the height of man's, 
pride and blindness that God said, all right, I need to talk to you because you've rejected me. See, they got so proud in themselves. I can do it all. I don't need anybody. They, they reject God. See, here's what happens. When we think we can handle everything, we don't need God anymore. And that's what's happening here in Jerusalem. And even today, our pride and blindness to the power of God cripples our worship. It cripples our witness. We have to guard against pride and blindness. So I'm looking at this scripture and I say, well, can we fully understand the potter? Can we look up at the potter and say, why is this going on? Why are you making me the way you are? Why is my life shaping up to be this way? Can we fully understand what God's doing? You're in Isaiah. Turn to Isaiah chapter 55. So we'll just go a few pages towards the back of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 55. And see what he has to say in verses 7 to 9. Isaiah 55 verse 7 says, Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that, they, that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God. For he will forgive generously. Did you? Re- you might want to underline that. Because a lot of times people have a hard time thinking God forgives them. How can God forgive me? You know how many times I've messed up? Is he going to forgive me again? Really? I mean, God forgives generously. Verse 8. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. My ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts higher than your thoughts. Did you read this? God says his thoughts are not like our thoughts. His ways are not like our ways. They're so much higher. So much higher. He doesn't ask us to figure out the things that we're doing. Do you realize that? He never says, hey, I'm going to do something. I want you to figure it out. I want you to try to understand why I'm doing this. I don't, I don't read that anywhere. What I do read is this. We're incapable of understanding what he does. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are greater than our ways. Listen very carefully, church. Just because I take a lot of classes, just because I've got a degree from college, or maybe I could, if I wanted to, stick an acronym in front of my name, doctor or PhD or whatever. Maybe I have a, a title, reverend, pastor, teacher, Professor, that does not give me the right to call God into question. Because a lot of people think, I've got a title now, I've got a degree, so I can ask God whatever I want. I can put him on the court, right? Nope. God is not a person of a slightly more intelligence. His thoughts are infinitely higher than my thoughts. His ways, there's there's such a gap between where I am and where he is, it's amazing. So large, I can't put energy into analyzing God when I should put my energy into submitting to God. There's going to be times, so many times, when I will not be able to figure God out. And neither will you. And let me tell you something. That's okay. God is not to be figured out. God is to be trusted. Let me say that again. God is not to be figured out. God is to be trusted. That's so hard for us, isn't it? We think that we can be like the director of a movie or the author of a book and uh, make the outcome to our favor every time. If we don't, matter of fact, we don't like a movie and how it's going, we can turn it off because I don't like the way it's going. 
We can choose to do that, can't we? And sometimes we want to do that with our life, but we can't. Um, I love a good action movie. I really do. It's so hard to find good action movies today anymore. Uh, they just get so much other stuff thrown in there. It's hard to find a good one that's filtered out the way I like. But there was one that came out last year. Um, I, it was an Avengers movie. I like the Avengers movies. And um, <clears throat> here's the thing. Spoiler alert, okay? So if you haven't seen Avengers Affinity War and you want to watch it, you might want to close your ears because I'm going to tell you what's going to happen, okay? Here it comes. Half the heroes die in the end, Okay? Okay, you can unplug now. That's not how I would have made the movie be, okay? In my, my script, if I was writing it, keep the heroes, all of them. Okay, maybe to make it realistic, get rid of one, the lesser one, the one that really nobody liked anyway. Sort of a, I don't know, got an attitude, you know, that hero. Probably the one that's the spandex is the tightest. Get rid of them. I don't like looking at that anyways, right? Okay. Um, so get rid of that hero, okay? Maybe, maybe that's how I would have written it. But here's the thing. I'm not the script writer. I'm not the author. I'm not the movie set director. That's the way the movie went. That was the outcome. I have to deal with it, right? I would have never written it that way. And here's the crazy thing. As I read through the Bible, the same thing happens. I read through some stories in the Bible, and I'm going, if I was God, I would not have written it that way. Let me give you some examples. You can write down some of these scriptures. You want to go read the stories later, you can. Genesis chapter 6 was the first story. One of those first stories that says, I'm reading where with the worldwide flood where God says, I'm going to save a bunch of animals. I'm going to take eight people. I'm going to put them in a boat the size of a football field and a half. And um, I'm going to flood the whole world. We've never seen water like this before. And now you're going to see a, a whole world covered with water. Because mankind is just evil and sinful. I'm just going to flush it all and start all over with eight people and a bunch of animals. Okay, if I was God, I don't think I would have written a story that way. I maybe would have come up with a different idea. Why a flood? Exodus 32, there's another good story. Exodus 32, we read about the historical story of Moses. He's up on Mount Sinai. He's receiving the Ten Commandments from God. Meanwhile, down below, the children of Israel, they're going crazy. They think Moses isn't around. Let's just uh, take all of our jewelry. We're going to melt it down, make a golden calf, and we're going to worship that cow. And that's going on in a big party, and people got really sinful. Moses is up getting the Ten Commandments from God. God's getting furious with what's going on down in the camp. And Moses is like, it's okay, it's okay, God, don't, don't spare them, please spare them. Then Moses comes down, and he sees what's going on. Now Moses gets hot, and God says, all right, here it comes. And he sends the Levites to go through the camp with their swords, and they slaughter almost 3,000 people. It says brothers, friends, and neighbors were annihilated, close to 3,000. And then it says, and the Levites were blessed for their obedience. Oh, I mean, did the people even stop and try to figure out the way of God in that one? Did hey, Let's figure out the way of the potter. Why is he doing this to the clay? If I was God, I, I don't know. If I were God, would I have done that? Would I have written it that way? Start asking yourself these questions as you read through the Bible. How about another one? Joshua 7, the story of Achan who stole treasures from the town of Jericho. They go in and they defeat Jericho and Achan takes some stuff for himself. He wasn't supposed to do that. And when confronted, did you take that stuff? He admits it. Yes, I did. And he hands the stuff over. And what happened? He and his family were still put to death. Oh, come on. He fessed up. He came forward. If I were God, would I have written a story that way? Probably not. 
As I read through the story of the prophets, there are some crazy things. About a month or two ago, I was in the book of Ezekiel. And as I was reading through Ezekiel, if you've never read it before, there, as I'm reading, I thought, really? He was commanded to lay down on his right side for 390 days, and lay on his left side for 40 days. He had some food prepared in advance, about eight ounces of food, you know, boom. Um, and, and he laid there, both sides, to signify what God was going to do with the nation. And then he was told to cook food over, over human poo. And I didn't know how to say that in church. I wasn't quite sure what word to use. Um, but you heard it correctly, and it's in there, okay? And he was told not to mourn over his wife's death. And then he was preaching sermons that were rated above R, explicit and everything. And it's like God told him to do all that. Now, if I were God, would I have done that? As you read through Scripture, we find the divine actions of God usually don't fit our understanding or our logic. And it causes us to stop. And we look at the Bible and we might question it. But we don't need to because why? We're the clay. He's the potter. We don't need to stop and make God to be human and fit into our compartments of life and how it should be. Because he's God. We serve a God whose ways are incomprehensible, whose thoughts are not like our thoughts. Isaiah 40, I want to read to you from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 25 to 28. God says this, I love this, it's like God just comes out, Isaiah 40, 25 to 28. To whom will you compare me? Who's my equal, says the Holy One? Look up into the heavens, who created all the stars? He brings them out one after another, calling each by name, and he counts them to see that none are lost or have strayed away. O Israel, how can you say the Lord does not see your troubles? How can you say that God refuses to hear your case? Have you never heard or understood? Don't you know that the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth? He never grows faint or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. We can't. We can't even fathom the depths of his understanding. If you were God, would you take on human flesh? Would you send your son to enter the world through a little Jewish girl? To be born in a stable, laid in a trough? Would you send your son to be whipped, to be beaten, to be pierced, to be put on a cross, to be half naked in front of a bunch of people and shamed? If I were God, I would not. I would never let that happen to my three sons. Never. Aren't you glad I'm not God? Because then we wouldn't have salvation today. I wouldn't have done it. If I were God, I wouldn't have done it that way. You know what? That's why I'm not God. And neither are you. Because God's ways are greater than our ways. His thoughts are greater than our thoughts. Francis Chan said this. It's incredibly arrogant to pick and choose which incomprehensible truths we embrace. No one wants to ditch God's plan of redemption, even though it doesn't make sense to us. Neither should we erase God's revealed plan of punishment because it doesn't sit well with us. We can't pick and choose like a salad bar what we want to believe about God. We may have painful experiences in times we don't understand, including figuring out eternity. 
Feel free to wrestle with God, church. Feel free to question, but do so, please, in reverence and awe of God. Humbly admit he is God. Bring your questions to God. Go ahead, but remember he is God. As the clay, looking to the potter. God, I don't know why you're forming me in this way, but I'm still going to trust you. You know why? Because he still has his hands on you, shaping you. You know, I shared a week ago, last week, about a young man in this town who took his life, seventh grade boy, took his life. And it was, I can't remember, four or five, maybe six years ago now, where another young high school boy in this town took his life. The year before that, to the same date, a young lady, Michaela Smith, took her life, officiated that funeral. And I had to ask, at that funeral, as I've had other funerals, why? Why did this happen? And here's the answer. I don't know. It's my honest answer. I don't know. We could say the same things about suffering and pain, and the same thing can be said about heaven and hell. But I do know this. God does not just send people to hell for his pleasure or enjoyment. No. I, I believe it pains him. As I read in the scripture, he wants everyone to repent, to come to know him. So I know he takes no pleasure in that. He is a just and he is a holy God. As we start to wrap this up, I want to share a a story. Again, this is a story I found in in, um, Francis Chan's book. He got it from Christianity Today magazine is where he got the story from. It's the original source. And it's called Two Minutes to Eternity by Marshall Shelley. You may have heard this story before. As I read it, it takes me back because this is a similar story that my nephew and my niece experienced years ago. They, uh, they were expecting uh, an incredible birth of their son, but in the process of the uh, doctor's visits prior to, the, um, prior to giving birth, the child was in the womb, and they, they found out that their child had an abnormal heartbeat and would probably not survive the birth even if it made it that far. So the parents were pretty much looking at the situation and they wrestled with God. Marshall wrote this, there's a design flaw and the designer was responsible. So they prayed for a miracle. They, they prayed for survival. They prayed that God of all compassion would give their child the breath of life. Then the day of the birth came and the child was alive. The child survived the pregnancy. God is good. And as the child was born, Marshall looked upon his beautiful son and he said this. He was a healthy pink and he was, we saw his chest rise and fall as he breathed. The breath of life. Thank you, God. That's what he wrote down. And then he said, and then it happened. He died. Two minutes later, their son turned from pink to blue and he died. The miracle of life was quickly followed by the mystery of death. And as far as Shelley's were concerned, the designer was responsible. And when the nurse asked the Shelley's if they had a name for the child, they responded, yes, his name is going to be Toby, short for Tobiah, which means God is good. God is good? How, how could they ever say that? How could they believe that such an a believable attribute of God when everything in that moment seemed to be opposite. Listen carefully. Because the Shelleys believe that God is good not only when he makes sense to us, but when he doesn't make sense to us as well. God is good. God is good because God is 
God. Goodness is inherent in who he is. And the Shelleys believe that. Marshall wrote this. The name was what we believed, not always felt. It's what we wanted to feel again someday. Listen, I don't like the thought of hell. I don't like the thought of people dying and going there. I don't. I don't like that thought. But I believe it's in the justice of God and God is perfect. And I submit to a God whose ways are higher than my ways and whose thoughts are greater than my thoughts. Church, I'm not asking you this morning to understand God. This sermon isn't about, hey, we got to understand God. This sermon this morning is to say, we need to trust God. We need to trust the potter because we are the clay. Trust and obey. Remember that song growing up? Trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Did you know that song is not entitled Understand and Agree? For there's only one way to be happy with Jesus, and that's to understand and agree. No, because we'll never understand, and we may never fully agree, but we can trust and we can obey. How many times have I looked at authority around me and squandered it and been not in agreement with a coach, teacher, a supervisor, I could very easily disagree with those in authority over me. And today there are still people in authority over me that I still do disagree with at times. But here's the thing. I respect them. I trust them. God being the ultimate authority in my life and in your life, there may be things that you see in your life you don't agree with. You don't understand. I understand that. I'm with you. But here's what I do know. We must trust and obey. Church, we need to pray that we surrender our pride to God and stop trying to be the clay that's in charge. We need to pray that we can surrender our pain to God today because some of the pain that some of us are still experiencing is because we haven't fully maybe trusted God yet. Surrender that to him. We trust him when things don't make sense. Maybe today's the day to say, God, help me to trust you when it's not making sense. We live in a changing world, and in a changing world, there's only one thing I can grasp hold to, and that is the faithfulness of God. All things change around us. God doesn't. And his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are greater than our thoughts. Worship team, would you come forward, please? As the worship team's coming forward, I'm just going to read one more scripture, and it's going to be like a doxology, a closing Paul in the book of Romans, if you read through Romans, it's like the first 11 chapters are all about what we believe, and it's very solid. Oh, my goodness, so solid. And then chapter 12 on is like the practical application. Let's put this into motion, right? And at the conclusion of chapter 11, before he gets into the practical, Paul writes this. And I want this to be our our words to, to focus on as we look at our potter as we look at our God who's shaping our lives. Verse 33 of Romans 11 says this, Oh, what a wonderful God we have. Would you you please stand with me as I read this? Oh, what a wonderful God we have. How great are his riches and wisdom and knowledge. Listen carefully. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his methods. For who can know what the Lord is thinking? 
Who knows enough to be his counselor? And who could ever give him so much that we'd have to pay it back, that he would have to pay it back? For everything comes from him. Everything exists by his power and is intended for his glory. To him be glory evermore. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are not qualified to be your counselor. We do not have enough that we could give you that you would have to pay us back. But God, what we do have is no doubt questions in our minds as to why things are the way they are. And, and, and we, Lord, as we finish talking about heaven and hell and we still may have questions not fully understanding, God, that's where we just are going to have to stop and just trust you. For you are the potter and we are the clay and you are still shaping and molding us and making us into the vessel that you want us to be. And that's a, that's a tough process. But God, we're in your hands. For that, we can feel at peace. And God, when it comes to the things in our life that don't make sense, we're going to have to humbly get on our knees and drop our pride, drop our arrogance, admit that we don't understand it, and trust you and ask for help along the way to trust you. But God, I thank you that you are in charge. Because I know, God, if I was, uh, it wouldn't be the way it is today. It would be really messed up. God, I'm so glad you're in charge. God, we love you. Thank you, Lord, so much for this church. Lord, help us to continue to grow closer to you, to grow in our knowledge of you, to grow in, in the way that we live our lives, that some things we... We just want to take charge. Help us let go. Help us to surrender to you. Our sins, we, we need to forgive. ask for your forgiveness, God. We need to surrender our sins to you and admit that we're wrong. God, come into our life. Purify us. Direct us. Lead us. We trust you, God. You're the potter. We're the clay. We love you, Lord. In thy name we pray. Amen.